for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 375 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This week is a special one, and we have a Kickstarter focus. The first interview is with Don Hanfield and Joshua Malkin, the creators of a graphic novel called Unicorn. And I like to point out it has a K instead of a C. It's a story about a young girl who's coming to grip with loss, and she comes across a horse that she believes is an actual unicorn, or at least was. And we get to see her deal with her father and other things in her life in this great graphic novel that is doing very well on Kickstarter. Again, if you look for it out there, it's Unicorn with a K. And I think you're going to like it. What I've seen of it looks really terrific, so I highly endorse it. Then we wrap up this special episode with the return of Caleb Toussaint, who has Nook on Kickstarter going right now. It's a great story that focuses on a family that escapes from World War II Germany only to discover their new home on the border of France is haunted by a dark past and a cat named Nook. We talk about how Caleb put this together and how he's doing. In fact, as we recorded this interview, he'd already met his goal. But that doesn't mean there aren't really good stretch goals to get involved with. So look for Nook, and that's spelled N-O-O-K, on Kickstarter.com. There's a lot to get to in this episode. So let's get on with the show. It's great to welcome to the podcast Don Hanfield and Joshua Malkin, the creators of a great series called Unicorn, and that's spelled with a K, not a C. And there's a Kickstarter going on right now, and it's a book I think that's going to deserve your support. So let's start off. Let's see. Don, why don't you tell us how you're doing tonight? Doing great, man. We launched a Kickstarter today, so we're a little tired, but uh, we're feeling good. And Joshua, how about you? Same. <laughs> I'll, I'll echo his exhaustion and and nerves, but it, it's really exciting to have this thing potentially poised to, to go out to the world. It's They call it the daily heart attack. Every day you look at <laughs> you're going to look at it and hourly. say... Hourly. Hourly. <laughs> you guys are up in the ante here you have to go hourly and stuff like that. So, okay. Well, Unicorn, why don't I just go ahead and read the description. I got an email and... Well, before I do that, let me... I got a huge, uh, interesting thing. I got an email about this that came out from Key Collector Comics. And it describes Don. It doesn't describe you, Josh. I don't know why. But the uh, there's a description of Don here. And it, sa- it says that you're named one of the top new faces of independent film by Filmmaker Magazine. It says... I, I w- I was named that many years ago. Oh. It's part of my bio. They must have gotten that from my bio. But no, it's, uh, I'm happy to carry that moniker around for life. <laughs> no, but no, I was named that. I did a short film called Jason Scott back in the day that uh, I was lucky enough to be named uh, one of the new faces. And it actually kind of helped start my career in film and television, which is where I work now. So. Well, let me hit a couple of other points real quickly. You're the co-creator of the History Channel drama, which I love, called Nightfall. 
and you this is your third comic. You did the Rift, and then you did the Mall, which of course was James Haku, I happen to know, has been on this podcast, and now Unicorn. So that's good stuff. Now, Josh. That's right. On the other hand, Josh, I don't know much about your background. Why don't you? I don't know if you've been named any kind of uh, uh, top new faces anywhere or anything, but <laughs> no, no, I have, I have, I don't have that that um, on gold to wear around my neck. But um, I am, I am also a screenwriter and also a producer. I also teach screenwriting um, and have been a friend of Don's for ever, a decade and a half. And you know, we we. We've worked on many things. Um, among them was uh, the Source series um, with Scout Comics. Um, and issue three comes out in a couple weeks. But this is sort of an extension of that world, and it, you know, mm-hmm. really grew out of our desire to create something for our kids. Mm, interesting, because uh, you know, what, what have you done before? Have you done any comics, or is this your first comic? A source that I did with Don was actually okay. my first. first one. Okay, okay. So we got all established. Everybody's credentials established here. Now we got. I thought. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say Josh wrote Cabin Fever two, so he's been working like genre and thriller stuff, and mm-hmm. and I've been writing Nightfall or producing The Founder, which is stuff that our kids are either going to be horrified or fall asleep. And mm-hmm. you know, we have children. We both have children. We want to do stuff that we could share with them, and we can they can enjoy, and it could also kind of send a, a, a message or a positive message to them. Uh, so that's, that was sort of the impetus for creating Unicorn, which takes place in the same world as our comic book, The Source. Hmm. Well, let me read a description of it that the, the email provides, and you can update it or, or, or change sure. it as you want. Unicorn is a 120-plus page family-friendly graphic novel that sends the message that with a little hope, faith, and love, we never have to let go of the ones we've lost. They're always with us in spirit. And that it's okay to keep believing in magic no matter how old you get. So why don't we talk about how the concept came to be? Did you guys develop it together? Uh, did somebody come up with the concept and then the other person came in to help bring the comic to be? How did that work? Well, I mean, we've, we've been, Josh and I have been working on this world, this source is set in for probably, uh, gosh, 10, 15 years. I mean, it, I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. We've written many, many iterations of the story um, I think, you know, a lot of times you, you, you sort of have plot in your head, but then you're sort of searching for theme. And I think what happened with both Joshua and I is we both have had uh, parents who have either been gravely ill or who have passed away in the last year mm. and two years. And what it did was sort of, and also our, my kids personally reached an age where it's like, do they believe in Santa Claus anymore? Do they believe in magic? And wanting to sort of address those things to the plot narrative. I mean, the kernel of this specific idea of a unicorn came about. I was visiting my mom in Pennsylvania. She was friends with this old lady down the road, a very rural farm country, Pennsylvania. The old woman had an old horse. And I just thought, what if the horse was really a unicorn? Hmm. It had a fly bone on its head. You couldn't see. What if it was a unicorn that had its horn taken off? And that was sort of the, the impetus and origin. And, and Josh and I sort of expanded it from there. I gotta ask why the K instead of the C in unicorn. Well, it's interesting you say that because a unicorn with a K is a unicorn that has had its horn removed oh. to keep it safe from people that would see it harmed or exploited. So, like they take the horn off a rhino, like mm-hmm. conservationists would do that to keep them from safe from poachers. Mm-hmm. 
our concept of the graphic novel is that they've done that with unicorns for hundreds, if not thousands of years to keep them safe because people obviously, even people with good intentions want to exploit the animals for their abilities. People with bad intentions want something much worse. Um, you know, the basic premise of the source universe is that it's set in, it's our world. It's based on real history, actual myths and folklore. And, uh, but the, the, I, the premise is that magic has been outlawed for thousands of years. Like Salem witch trials were real, but they were, they were really trying witches to punish them for using magic. And basically there's a, a, a group of people called the few who sort of hoard magic for themselves. So with that in mind, a unicorn, just its mere existence would be proof of magic. So they're hunted to almost extinction. And the ones that are around are being kept safe by removing their horns and hiding them in plain sight, so to speak. But, uh, but this really takes place just through a little girl's eyes and doesn't really tap into the bigger world. It's more about her and her family. And is this thing a real unicorn or not? Mm-hmm. It's interesting because, you know, we've all lost, well, you guys have within the last year. So it makes it a little more poignant, I think, for you guys. But, you know, both my mom and my dad have passed at this point, and mm-hmm. you're never ready for it. I, even though you know it's coming yeah. probably for years, you're not ever ready for it. And I, I, yeah. I, I was touching on it. You guys made available to me a few pages from the book, which really touched me. Uh, I said, yeah. just for a few pages, I was really kind of engrossed in the story, and I got to the end of it, and mm. I said, that, that's it? i got to know more of this. Mm, I have to know the story, uh, which is really well done. Oh, thanks, Wayne. Yeah, I mean, it's something that's it's obviously really personal to both of us. And, you know, it's something that, um, you know, you're not ready to lose a parent. And, you know, I, um, my wife lost her stepfather, who was, she was really, really close to. And I lost my stepfather recently. And Josh has obviously dealt with it, too. And you're not really ready for it. You realize how much of a, of a parental figure and they are to you and how devastating it could be to sort of lose them. And the ripples and sense to your life, but also the ripples and sense to your kids' lives. And how do you... We wanted to find a way to address that in a way that wasn't overly dark or brooding. It was something that sort of could just have them keep positive memories and find a way to sort of deal with that. Because mm-hmm. it's a really uh, it's interesting story, and, and the characters really live to me. They're not perfect characters in the stuff that I saw. Well, I, most of the book mm-hmm. that I've seen so far has to do with the father and with the main character, mm-hmm. the girl. And then yep. there's another, the, the, uh, is it the grandmother or the aunt? I forget right top of my head who the older lady with the we, horses is. Yeah, that's Mrs. McNulty. And she's someone who, so that's the old woman who sort of lived down the street. And oh. the backstory that we cover in the book is that her mom, the little girl's mom was a veterinarian. And she was married to the, you know, married, had a baby. And, and, and what, what, she, what the little girl uncovers over the course of the, of the book is that her mom was actually what they call a keeper, which is someone who is charged with sort of caring for mythical animals. And she also has that sort of ability, if you can call it that. Um, and so, but this old woman who came in and her mom died in a car accident. Mm-hmm. She's sort of dealing with the grief of that. Her dad is still reeling from the grief of that. It's sort of changed their relationship forever. Mm-hmm. And this old woman came in to buy the farm and took over the farm. And that's Mrs. McNulty, who's a very much a mentor to a little girl and kind of, uh, there to kind of support her. And then when Mrs. McNulty passes, she leaves the farm to the little girl. And that's when she has to sort of, she discovers all this stuff, writings of her mom and sort of the bigger, the bigger sort of world and, and dilemma that she's dealing with with trying to protect these animals that people want to kind of take advantage of. Mm-hmm. Now, Josh, uh, why don't you explain the process of how you guys brought this together? I mean, did you guys, like I was asking, did somebody come up with the concept and then you fleshed it out together? Did some, did, did, did you hand off the concept to somebody who wrote the script? How did you guys do that, Josh? 
I mean, honestly, what I mean, Don and I have been working together so long and so fluidly and in the screenplay form that we actually kind of wrote this um, as a screenplay outline. And hmm. it was long and sprawling. Um, I'd say it's, you know, 80 pages, single spaced. And, you know, over the por- course of months, you know, that was that baton got handed back and forth and back and forth. And sometimes we were in the same room and sometimes we're not. But, you know, it just sort of gets to a point where you can't tell necessarily mm. who contributed what anymore. Like it's, it's kind of all in the same stew. And then, you know, in terms of building the graphic novel, the way we've been working so far, which has been interesting, is, is actually just writing really pivotal emotional sequences first. So like that's, you know, a lot of what we've conquered are the real emotional keystones of the piece. Um, but it's all built and, um, you know, this is part one of four. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of spaghetti in the pot. So is the Kickstarter for part one? Is that what it uh, is it for the whole no, story? Just part one. Okay. Yeah. Well, the Kickstarter, the Kickstarter is, is a contained story. I, I would say when you say parts, it's sort of like star Wars being part oh, one sure, of sure. the sort of trilogy. So it's not, it's, it's a, it's a full graphic novel with a complete story. It just will have the ability to do it, do a sequel. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I mean, the the, the whole thing is this is based on what looks like a, a a preteen to teen girl. We don't identify how old she is in here, and I got to tell you something. For me, yeah. that's an era of life that you know, because I haven't had kids, that actually scares me a little bit. I don't get the logic mm-hmm. that goes on in their heads. But what I read of the girl here really rang true to me, to what knowledge I do have. So, I, did you guys base this girl on maybe somebody that you knew? I was do you, maybe a daughter or somebody else. How did you well, come up with the character? I, I, yeah, I have a daughter named. I mean, uh, I have a daughter named Robinson who, um, very, you know, she wears glasses. She's very, very much sort of the inspiration. Her name's Robinson. We call her Robbie. Mm-hmm. She's very much into. Uh, she's into horses. She's into animals. She's into magic. She's. Uh, into all that stuff. And again, when you're sort of writing something for your kids, you want to create something that maybe has a piece of them in there. So certainly was part of what was going through my head um, and working on it. Wow. Okay. So it's pretty cool because it has a true feel to the story. And this is why, you know, there is an interesting thing that goes on in, in the fact that there's a lot of TV or movie people that are into comics and making comics. Jeff Johns, for example, mm-hmm. is a well-known name. He worked on the Superman mm-hmm. movie, and there's all these other mm-hmm. ones. So there's this use. You guys are used to dealing in visuals, and so comics. Mm-hmm. It just feels like it's a, it's a natural fit for you guys. It, it, was that why you went to comics? Yeah. I, I, I'm just interested. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I grew up reading comic books. Like I was, you know, reading comic books back in. The, I mean, I was reading them as a real little kid. You know, I would, you know. It's gone with 50 cents out of my mom's purse to go buy him when I was a kid. And I was raised by a single mother, a latchkey kid. I was an older brother who we both read comics as part of life. And my mom would take me to Hole in the Wall Books in Alexandria. And they would always hold my comic books for me every week. And, you know, that was like back in the days of like the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when they came out. And Samurai and Fish Police and Nexus and, you know, um, I, uh, you know, the... Uh, and X-Men and Death of Captain Marvel. I mean, that was all like sort of big part of my memories. And then 
when I got into the film business, I kind of just kept those things separate. I always loved comics. I still read them here and there, but I just didn't combine the two. But when I was making Nightfall, this TV show I co-created in Prague, when you're on a TV show, you're sort of exclusive and you can't write other TV. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, but I wanted to keep creating. I wanted to create other worlds. I, I always want to kind of explore new worlds. And uh, I, I actually said, well, I can write a comic book. There's nothing to say I can't write a comic book. I can't write TV, but I can write a comic book. So I wrote a comic book called The Rift with my partner on Nightfall. Mm-hmm. And that's the comic book that, that's the first comic book I did. And it was a lot of a learning curve for how to, what the process of making a comic, but I loved it. I mean, creatively, it's so liberating and amazing. You know, it's the same amount of money, whether you're blowing up San Francisco or you have two guys talking in the room. So I thought that was amazing. And it's just such a pure creative experience. It's just you and the artist or you and your writing partner and the artist and, and the letter and the colorist and just seeing it all come together was always a joy. Um, you know, we were fortunate with that one that it was picked up by Steven Spielberg and Amblin and it was made into uh, one of the episodes of Amazing Stories, which they just announced with the uh, Apple Plus launch uh, yesterday. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, very fortunate with the first one. And then I did, then I met James Hake and we did them all together and that was a great experience. And then uh, I, I, Josh and I had been working on this world of the source for many years as a screenplay. And I was like, hey man, let's let's make this as a comic book. And the funny thing about the source is it's by far the most successful comic that I've done so far. This is a pure comic book. Mm-hmm. And my expectations were not high for it. I was just like, this is something that Josh and I was so inside baseball for us. Like it was such like our nerd dream come true to this world that when it performed well, I was pleasantly surprised. And um, out of that sprang unicorns because we always wanted to kind of expand the world in a way that our kids could enjoy. Now, it's interesting because uh, the source is one of Scout Comics' most successful books. I know yeah. I've, I've read that where they're talking about the, the sales and stuff. It started off with a bang yeah. and it's still keeping going. Which is, you know, congratulations yeah, yeah. to you guys. I mean, you know, obviously yeah. you're doing the right thing coming into right. comics and doing that. So I think yeah, that's no, it's good. Yeah, but yeah, we were fortunate. We love the guys in Scout Comics, and the two the two publishers I've worked with, Red Five and Scout, are both great. I have another book coming out uh, for free comic book day called The Dark Age that I'm doing with Red Five. But no, it's been great. Yeah, and the the source is it's been unusual in the sense that like, you know, issue three has sold more than issue one, and issue one did three printings and stuff. We've been very fortunate, and it's such a world that we love. I mean, it's just it's sort of like you have this crazy idea, and you don't think anyone but your buddy will will appreciate it, and so for other people to be into it is really kind of gratifying, and we feel very blessed for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so it's in the Source universe. Uh, is are we going to see Source characters in Unicorn, or is that going to how's that going to work? Well, it's funny. At the end of issue four of the Source, which is sort of volume one of that series, um, you will see a character from the char- two characters from Unicorn in the Source. If you don't know Unicorn, you'll just think, oh, what is this? Just cutaway of someone watching a TV. But that's one of the characters from the Source. And then if you um, we will mention at some point, I don't know if it'll be in the first one, but at some point there will be mention of uh, the main character of the source in Unicorn. That's May, right? Oh, no, May is the character uh, in May, Unicorn. May will mention uh, Barry Miller, who's the main character in, uh, in the source. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so it's, well, it, this all ties together, so we, we ought to explore it. The source, four issues, is that going to be the conclusion of the first storyline of the source? Yeah, for four issues, conclusion of the first storyline. It's uh, issue three comes out next week. That's it. well, I don't know when it's going to air, but two weeks from today, which is um, and that's uh, that's and then issue four, the artist is working on right now, and that's going to come out shortly, and that will that will be a contained storyline, but very much like Star Wars, you'll see there's an opportunity to go to 
it, it ends on very much like, a, oh my gosh, what happens next? Because it's kind of a, a big kind of whammy at the end of, of issue four. Mm-hmm. Now, as, as, so I'm trying to figure how does Unicorn, you, this is the first of four parts for Unicorn, right? Right. So it's something similar to the source. I, is The Kickstarter is going to pay for the artists and good things like that. Is this going to come out under Scout, do you know? Um, it might come under Scout. I'm not sure what's going to be published yet. I mean, we have I have a few publishers I work with, and there's someone that actually we're talking about doing another YA graphic novel with right now. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely find a publisher. I mean, we already have publishers that are interested. I mean, for us as creators... I, I've been sort of obsessed with Kickstarter for years now, and I buy gadgets off there. I buy, you know, I blankets, apparel, whatever. I just find it so fascinating and so pure. And as a creator, there's nothing more pure than just I got this idea and giving it right to the people that want to buy it. I mean, there's so many like what they call development in Hollywood, or I'm sure what they call R and D in the tech department, where you're going through all these layers and channels that don't necessarily improve the product. They just, you know, but steps that were necessary in the past that maybe you don't need anymore. So there's just something I was so uh, thrilled to be able to try to launch something under this format as a creator. It just gives you a great deal of freedom. And, and, um, and so we're hopeful that it works out. Well, I'll tell you guys a story that I came across one time and it really fascinates me. Somebody was saying that Marvel of course is the top comic producer, but if you put them all together, all the comics that come under Kickstarter, they would actually be the second biggest producer of comics above any of the other regular comic companies because there's so many books wow. coming out in there so oh, you guys are that I think, is amazing you guys have jumped on the right bandwagon i think to get the, the stuff yeah. done it's good now, now well, jo- I, go ahead yeah go ahead. i was just gonna say i buy a lot of comics i probably buy more comics off kickstarter than i buy in, in the stores lately i mean there's <laughs> there's there's great books on there so not, that's that's a great piece of information i wasn't aware of yeah, I don't know how valid that is. I read it someplace and it just stuck with me because I thought, what if that's really true? You know, it's, it, I, I would be discouraged if I was like DC or Image or something like that because here they are, you know, beating their heads against the wall trying to catch up to Marvel, but somebody just shot right past them with a, a, a mm-hmm. crowdfunding and stuff like that. So uh, as far as running ki- Kickstarters, like Josh, have you guys done this before? No, no, we haven't. That's and. It, it has actually been a, a, a wormhole that runs far further and far deeper than I ever could have imagined, <laughs> you know, across the dawn, because, you know, for the past six months, really, um, you know, he has sort of led the charge in self-teaching algorithms and ad impacts and email outreaches and, and the jingoistic terms of go on and on, but it's you know, to do it well and to take it seriously is is, is a fairly big endeavor. Wow. Um, and it, no, it was it was it's been a huge learning experience. Wow, because you know, I, there, I was just talking to somebody who had just done this is his ninth, and he's getting to he feels really comfortable with it, and he's making you know a fair amount, not as much money as you guys are are asking for, but he's actually starting to you know he, he had one that failed, and it seems like almost everybody starts out with one that fails. You guys may be the exception to that rule, but everybody seems to. I hope so. Knock on wood. Yeah, well, you guys, <laughs> as I'm looking at the page now, and of course this is we're recording this ahead of time. Your, your your goal is twenty five thousand dollars, and right. you're already uh, what a third of the way there uh, within 
you know, yeah. the first day. So you're well on your way to, to yeah. make it a success, which I think is great. And I, I've got to ask you about one thing, though, because in the graphic on the Kickstarter page, it says a family-friendly graphic novel. I'm interested in the choice of the words of that family friendly, because you know some comics, yes, that's that's true. Some of them are not. Some people use the term all ages. Why did you guys decide? I don't know whether you guys made the decision or maybe Josh, if you could address that. Why family friendly as opposed to say all ages? Yeah, it's so funny you mentioned that. Like we went <clears throat> back and forth on you know, the combination of words that sort of best suited and most accurately described the content of this book for quite a long time. And, you know, the books that we were inspired by, I think, are kind of generally considered children's lit, like, you know, The Black Stallion and Anne of Green Gables. And, you know, there, there were these 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 books that both Don and I had in common as kids that we were like, you know, really sort of driven to recapture the magic and impact of, and the children's lit didn't fit. And, um, you know, sort of synthesizing, um, family film from, you know, film in which both of us work. It just, it, it seemed new to us, kind of unique in the way that our stories felt right. So we just kind of went with it. See, it's interesting because all ages, if, amongst comic readers, there's a perception that all ages is dumbed down. You know, it means that we, we wrote this for kids, and that means you adults, it's going to be too stupid for you. So don't bother with that. So I, I, family friending might be the better way to go moving forward instead of saying We're hoping. <laughs> We're hoping. And I think that, you know, I, I agree. I think all ages does seem to seem to imply stripped down and and you know although i think unicorn is certainly appropriate for all ages like it's it it deals with you know themes that you know are really genuinely worth talking about and sometimes difficult to talk about with kids Mm -hmm. just you know i'm not a parent myself but i'm sure that uh, other parents do if i had to ask or tell a kid about some of this stuff i would be lost i mean i couldn't do it you might be nice to have a story that kind of illustrates some of that. So I think that's a cool thing. Now, of course, i, I got to ask, with you guys' TV and, and movie backgrounds, is there any chance that you might want to turn this book into a, a movie or maybe the source, maybe make a, 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 a the, the, the hand-filled Malkin run of movies that based on these stories? Any ideas along those lines? I mean, sure, that's always something that... that you know, always something that's in our mind. I mean, the, the thing that we love about comic books is they're an end product. You know, we both write screenplays and sometimes they get made and sometimes they don't, but we have scripts that we've written that probably four people have read that we think are great. And the great thing about comic books is they actually live in the world. And I think specifically um, for the, the sort of family friendly thing that we were just talking about, I mean, I think about live action kids movies when we were children, they were directed by Spielberg, Zemeckis and Donner, like three of the greatest directors of, of a generation. And now the, the animated films are fabulous. They're so uh, well done and emotional and the, the live action films for kids haven't quite caught up yet. So I, I do envision a world where we could do a great family friendly, but like the Disney, like, you know, the old live action, like ET or those great films that were made for kids that, 
kind of are very reflective of the literature we were talking about, the Charlotte's Webs, the Watership Downs, those great pieces of children's literature that, that were adapted or inspirational in that sense. So it's always in our mind. And, and as far as the source, I mean, yeah, that could be a, a film or a series. It's something we've always thought of. It's very epic in scope and um, much different tonally. That's more like a blockbuster for all ages, whereas uh, the, the Unicorn would be more of a fa- a family film that it's sort of like a Disney film. Mm-hmm. Kickstarter, but live action. On the Kickstarter page, you bring up a couple of current books that are out. One of them I'm particularly familiar with, and that's Amulet, which I I, I have... Every once in a while I go to the comic store, and I have a little extra money, and I ask the people there, what should I be reading that I'm not reading? And one time they uh, got Amulet to me, and I have been very faithfully buying those books and reading those because, you know, here again, this is a, a... aimed at sort of teen readers, and I am just gripped. I mean, I haven't been a teen in years, but it's a great story. Yeah. And there's another one called Cleopatra in Space. They just released the last one. And I am mm. just, I, I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. And I'm just like, yike, i got to have that. And then this is supposedly written for younger. You know, I used to work with a lady who used to tell me, they're not written for you. You, you can't expect that much out of them. <laughs> but I have higher expectations. Right, right. I, I think these books, like your books, are going to teach younger readers maybe what a good story is. You know, mm. And I think that that's, and I don't want to put any more pressure on yeah. you guys. You want to tell a good story. But I do think that you know, if you do this really well, you'll be teaching a whole new generation of maybe comics mm. readers or, or young readers what a good story is. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's well put. I mean, I definitely, those books are great. I mean, El Defo, the Reign of Telgemeier books were smile and drama. I mean, they're just, they're just great stories. I mean, I, I actually was turned on to a lot of them by my daughter. My daughter's a voracious reader, and <laughs> I'm, you know, as a comic fan, I'm like you. They're not meant for me, but I'm taking them from her and reading them. <laughs> so, and they're great. They're great stories, man. They're, they're well told, and they're emotional, and, you know, I've, it really, you know, they are like little films and little little journeys and little movies, and it's they're wonderful to read. Now, see, I've got to talk about one other subject that's near and dear to my heart, and that is a female lead in a story. Mm, yeah. You know, comic books yeah. tend to be big, burly white guys a lot of the time. Yeah. They're the lead characters. But we're seeing more and more, like Cat Marvel movie just came out recently, and Amulet, yeah. Amulet's another good example with a woman or a young a woman lead, and other stories are out there with, with women leads. And I always ask people, why did you choose a woman lead? And they always say, well, it just was a natural fit. I didn't even think about it. That's what the story demanded. Was that the case with May in your book? Was that was May the, uh, was there a conscious choice, or was it just that, that the story demanded a female lead character? I mean, I think specifically for me, I mean, my I have a daughter and a son. My daughter's older, and my daughter was sort of first in my mind and my presence. And when you're a father, I mean, I was raised by a single mother, so I was always kind of conscious of women in the marketplace and, and how they're treated and, 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 and also just having a, she was such a strong woman, a strong example that I always kind of had much respect and for women. And I think when you have a daughter, you start to watch these commercials, like throw like a girl. I don't know if you're familiar with that campaign. And mm-hmm. as a father, it just shifts the paradigm for you. Like it, it becomes something incredibly emotional to you and incredibly uh, uh, important to you that your daughter gets the same opportunity that you had. It, it becomes very, very personal and very primal for a father. And I think for me, a lot of it was like, 
wanting to do the story for her. And that became something where if I'm doing a story for her, she needs to see it through eyes like hers. And, you know, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I try to drop Star Wars on my kids when they're like two and four. And I think I scarred them for life. And now they're like afraid of Star Wars. But um, my daughter, when she watched the J.J. Abrams one with the female lead, it like drew her into it because she saw herself in the story. And it made me just love that approach and love that story because you know, the more diverse the storytelling is, the more people it embraces and the bigger the community gets and the more people have in common. I think that's all just a great thing for the world. Mm. How about you, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I also have a daughter. I actually have twins, a, a boy and a girl the same age. And, you know, I too was a voracious reader and a collector of books. And my attic is filled with boxes upon boxes. And mm-hmm. when they were, you know, hit two and, could actually articulate a book i you know i ran upstairs and started wanting to sort of plan their next decade of reading and it definitely did become more clear to me that like the number of and this is sort of slippery but like boy books mm-hmm. <laughs> the number of books with, with male protagonists like hugely outweighed um the number of books with female protagonists like the, the stack that i had for my son versus the stack that I had from my daughter. There's just really no comparison. And, you know, the idea to sort of fill that gap, so to speak, to create a story in which, you know, a young girl is the practical, the emotional, the spiritual lead of the story seemed really, really important. Mm-hmm. So I well, wanted her to have that. What's really cool too about the character too, and I I've often said this on this podcast, is that I have female friends who think that a female lead should be very maternal. They should sit and talk their problems out. They should never get into any kind of a fist fight or any kind of an argument. They just very reasonably resolve all their problems. But in comics, which is a visual medium, that's kind of tough to do without being boring. So I, what I've seen of, of May in the, in the first couple of pages that I read sets her up as a very different character. than, than My friends may not like her, let's just say, but I liked her. I thought she is very real in, in, in many levels. You know, she's, she's dealing with things, but she's not really open to talking about it very much. But she does things. <laughs> One of the things I really loved, right at the very beginning, she starts doing things just to get her father angry, just so he re- has an emotion. Mm-hmm, Which mm-hmm. I, I thought that yeah. that was such a wonderful bit of writing right there because I, you know, I I, I haven't had that ex- example, but it so shows just how maybe a younger girl might deal with the situation. She's trying mm-hmm. to resolve something, but she doesn't know how to like be like these other people I talk about being maternal and talking everything out. She's actually trying to provoke him to say something, which I, I really was really touched by that. I thought that was a great, a great way to start the book out and help us understand her and the father. Mm, yeah, yeah, thanks. I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think too. I think sometimes it's also mirroring, and I think sometimes it's also like culture, you know. And a lot of times, in certain places, I mean, I know that my dad's generation. I mean, boys don't cry, mm-hmm. you don't emote, you know. And when you're when you're parental figure, when a female parental figure leaves, sometimes you're sort of left with that sort of example. And I, I mean, for me, it was the opposite. My dad wasn't around when I was younger. Mm. And so I would try to fill that gap with maybe overcompensating and trying to be overly masculine or trying to get in fights or do things or, but at the same time, the reason I'm in the film and television industry is my mom couldn't 
throw the football with us, she took us to movies. And that's mm-hmm. what I fell in love with films and emotion and stories and how stories could change your life and make you feel better, you know? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't know if you ever read, there was a, uh, Darwin Cook was a uh, comics creator. And he passed not too long ago, a couple of years ago. But he wrote this one little book It was in which he told the story of how he got interested in being an artist. He was taken by his father to his uncle's house, and they were going to give him a set of golf clubs. And what was happening was is the, the aunt was in this, uh, like a garden area, and what was she doing but painting? And he went and looked at it, and there they were, the, the father and the uncle are talking about how wonderful it's going to be. He's going to be a big golfer when he grows up and all this kind of stuff. And he goes in there, and he sees her start to paint. And when they leave, he's carrying all these art supplies in his arms, smiling like crazy. And the father's all dejected because now he's got to carry the golf clubs because he knows that kid's never going to touch him. But it's who he is. Mm-hmm. That, that thing sparked his artistic interest. You know, interest, and for us as fans of comics, who got to enjoy his work while he was alive. I'm so grateful mm. that that happened. You know, that was a wonderful thing. Mm. It's a great stuff. Yeah, that's cool. That's it. Yeah, uh, that's great. It's... Well, let me talk to you. One thing I want to ask too about is the rewards. I like the fact that every reward starts with the word unicorn. There, <laughs> there's unicorn spotter, and then there's unicorn seeker, and there's a unicorn rider. And then there's Unicorn Armor and Tamer and Spellbook, Generations, all kinds of wonderful things going on with the word Unicorn, including the Mega Gift Box. I kind of like that. That's a cool thing. <laughs> and there's, oh, there's other sketches by uh, Ben Bishop, Popman, and uh, I always pronounce Rafael Larrero's name. I'm sure I just butchered that. But he's a great artist, too, that I've met. And it's, you've got a gift box. That's the thing that's really interesting. I, I, I'm so fascinated by that. Where did the idea come for the gift box? Because the reason I ask is because right now DC is selling, like, quarterly these gift boxes. They had just had one with the Flash, mm. and now Green Lantern's coming out. And it reminds me very much of that. So you guys are, you know, you're, you're right on the cusp of that with a gift box. I think that's so cool. I mean, Josh, do you know how that came about? Was that, whose idea was that? That was definitely Don's idea. Okay. I will, I will well, let him well, give some props. Yeah. I, I mean, I have to give some props to, uh, you know, I, when I, whenever I jumped into something, like I was going to do a Kickstarter, I was like, I've never done Kickstarter. I need to sort of, I bought a lot of stuff on Kickstarter. I just had never run a campaign. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm friendly with Ben Bishop, who was very helpful in offering advice. And also uh, Tyler James has a program called Comics Launch that I signed up for that is a great podcast. It just gives you so much information and so much detail. And to be honest, that was inspired. He ran a Kickstarter for something called Wailing Blade that he did a, a box for. And I was fascinated by that. I thought that was really cool. And we were looking for something for people that might want to make it more of a, a present that kids unbox. It has like a stuffed animal or like a, a pin. And, and so we just, and, and there's, and our designer is so great and our artist is so great. And there's so much other stuff that they can create that we wanted to just kind of create this box where you could open it up and find all of these uh, things that are sort of in this unicorn world. It's a very cool idea. I really like that. Now, the other thing I got to talk about in the, in the, uh, um, in the, in the rewards as the last two rewards, <laughs> one of them is for $10,000. You get to be an executive producer, which, you know, if you got $10,000 out there, I would highly recommend you go ahead and invest it in this. I think that'll be something that'll be good. There's also a little less than that. $5,000 is a walk-on part 
in the, any in the Hollywood production. Is that unicorn? Is it whatever you guys are involved with? How which walk on part is that? It could be anything. It depends on what's going on at the time. I mean, it could be something I'm doing, something my friends are doing. Obviously, you know, we're in the in the business. I mean, we have I have a couple of films that may go this year. You never know what's going to go. Um, you know. One is a adaptation of a, a Korean horror film, and one is um, uh, based on a book. I mean, there's a couple of things that could happen, or TV. You never know. So I, I, we would find something that uh, they could take part in. That'd be cool. There's one other thing I got to mention is because I love this thing whenever they do it, and if I ever had the money, I'd, I'd be right in there. There's what's called a unicorn namer, and what happens is your name and likeness gets in the comic. You become a comic character in there and I think that's a wonderful thing I've seen several books do that before and people fight to get to it so hopefully there'll be there you've got 10 uh, possibilities for that uh, do you know in the story where that kind of thing's going to take place uh, no it's going to depend on I think how many of those we get but that's always a fun thing I've seen other people do in their books and that's the other beauty of Kickstarter is like you could have you could have something where it's interactive where you're actually you're still creating the book is still being created. So you can have opportunities like that where people can actually be a part of the narrative of the book. So we'll find someplace cool to do it. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Well, it's called unicorn, a story of faith, love, hope, and magic. And the uh, project has to reach its goal by Thursday, April 25th at three o'clock in the afternoon, Eastern daylight time. Let's do it. And you've got, as, as we're talking, you've got 95 backers already, which is, you know, that's a great start. You know, a lot of uh, Kickstarters I know never got a fraction of that. So you're off to a great start, and I'm, I'm convinced this is going to be a big success. And I don't know what oh, the, thank you. the I don't know what the future of Unicorn is going to be, but I'm sure it's going to be worth following and keeping up. So it's going to be great stuff. I think you guys are doing great stuff. Well, why don't we talk about? Uh, like Josh, what kind of projects are you working on besides Unicorn? What other things have you got going that we should know about? Um, well, I mean, the thing most <laughs> most visible is is uh, the source, which is the other comic book. Mm-hmm. You know, I like Don have three to four things that may make me very happy over the next six months, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe the most spectacular pile of non-news um, anyone's ever seen. So, mm. again, it's it's why, and, and it's work I'm very luckily able to do, and I, I'm happy to make a living as a writer, but it is, as Don, you know, joked, not joked earlier, it's a very real thing that some of those projects that I spend, you know, half of the year on, or if not longer, have really slim odds and very small audiences if they don't make it to the screen. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that would be a big stay tuned from Joshua Malkin. Okay. So in order to do that, do you have any social media that we can follow you on just to, to keep up with your projects? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, obviously the easiest place to find us all gathered is actually on the Kickstarter page itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, very cool. Now, Don, how about you? Uh, other projects you're working on? Are you guys working on the same projects? I imagine you guys each have your own projects as well as ones you work on together with. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a, I have, you know, season two of a sh- the show I co-created, Nightfall, premiered uh, last night. That's mm-hmm. going. I mean, that's something that's sort of already 
done. And um, and then we we shot Amazing Stories, which was an episode, which was the Rift, the comic book. Uh, we shot that in November in uh, Atlanta, um, and. Now it's just like sort of what's next. I mean, I'm actually working on a, a couple of scripts that I'm trying to finish and get out there. And um, we had an actor, an actor come on a script that I wrote with my partner on Nightfall. So we have to do a, a pass at that. And I just actually um, optioned another, um, uh, I actually optioned another graphic novel that's in the works to a, um, to a uh, TV company that we're going to develop for TV. So. Oh, wow. Okay, so we'll hear your name more in the future, it sounds like uh, that goes. Are there any uh, social media besides the Kickstarter page that we could follow you on, follow what you're doing? Um, well, I have a website for my production company, which is uh, called Motor, and it's motorbuilt.com, M-O-T-O-R-B-U-I-L-T.com, or just motor.inc, M-O-T-O-R.inc, mm-hmm. that's I-N-K. Mm-hmm. And that basically has usually information about all the different projects I'm working on at the various times. Oh, well, great. Well, it looks like good stuff. What I've read already has really got me entranced. In fact, I've already pledged. I, I took a breakout while you, while you guys were saying something, and I'm, I put a pledge in because I wanted to be sure to support no, this thanks, good thing. Cause I think it's a great, uh, a great story, and I think it's something worth supporting. So I highly encourage you to do the same. Again, it's Unicorn with a K. And if you go out and put that word in, you're going to get the uh, the Kickstarter out there. And you're off to a great start. You know, I hope your first one's a big success and you kind of break the Kickstarter curse and manage to do something really spectacular. Thanks. And it'll be wonderful to see. So you guys keep up the good stuff and yeah. much success with this. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for having us on, man. We really appreciate it. And, and we, you know, we love your podcast and, you know, keep up the great work. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man, from flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but as a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast, so you can keep reading your comics. It's always great to talk with Caleb Toussaint, the creator of such wonderful things as Alter Life and Zed, and he has one of his stories coming out in a hardcover graphic novel through Kickstarter called Nook. How you doing, Caleb? I'm good. How are you, Wayne? Good. It's good to talk with you as always. I'm just kind of fascinated that uh, you're getting better and better at this Kickstarter thing because here we are talking and you've already met your goal. So congrats. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's... It's rare that I'm this early on having the campaign funded. So by the time that this comes out, yeah, people can just pick up the book at this point. It's a sure thing. Well, that's good because now's the time to jump on board and get all those little extras and the the goodies that you add to it as you go along. So that's good. Why don't you talk to people about what Nook is about? Sure. Um, So it's kind of this crazy story that was born out of 
some dreams and bits of family history and some history obsessions that I have. Um, so it's a World War II ghost story about a family that uh, escapes Germany right before the war begins and they move into this house on the edge of France that is actually haunted by this little ghost cat that starts to reveal the history of the house to their little daughter. Mm. And it's kind of a mystery and it kind of jumps back and forth between World War One and World War Two, And it kind of centers around the idea that we're kind of uh, doomed to repeat our own mistakes and it's hard to escape the repetition of history and our past failures and I, I just wanted to write something that kind of expressed the cyclical nature of life mm-hmm. well that's good because uh, how long is it um it's going to be 100 pages mm-hmm. so that's it the story itself runs about 95 pages and then we're going to have some extra variant and cover art and a couple little pinups and things in the back like I like to do with these big books. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hardcover this time. Why did you go to hardcover? Uh, I tend to gravitate to hardcover just because I like the way that it looks. Mm-hmm. I like the way that it feels, and it's just it lasts longer. I want this to be a book that you keep on your shelf and you keep printing back out to read every once in a while. I think it, it hits that type of story. It's something that is going to stay with you, and it's something you want to hand to somebody else and tell them to read it to. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, I haven't been, haven't signed up for their Patreon for you yet, so I haven't seen much of uh, Nook. But what I gather is it's black and white. It is. Who's the it's artist? All, the artist is a guy I met when I lived in Chicago. Uh, his name is Marcelo Biot, and we kind of hit it off talking about these concepts and I brought him on with the Patreon. He wanted to take on this project because it was a huge challenge for him to do something so different. He primarily does sort of like superhero Power Ranger feeling artwork with his stuff that he does on his own uh, webcomic. So this was like stepping out way outside of the box for him, and I think he completely nailed it, and people are really loving the artwork. Mm. Now, when does the Kickstarter end? The Kickstarter ends on April 3rd, so you'll have a few days to hop on and grab it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this will be posting just before that, so uh, it's urgent at this point to get out there and look for Nook, which is, of course, N-O-O-K, and you'll find it in there. So... Talk to me about the process of bringing this story together because uh, in the past you've done like individual issues. And of course, the, the Patreon allowed you to do something similar to that. You did a couple pages at a time, if I remember correctly. Yeah, this was a kind of a different beast. Uh, it was something that we, I kind of, a concept I was playing with, and I didn't fully have the money to invest in it at the time. So I started this Patreon. We raised enough to do about a page at a time for a while. And then we started doing two pages and then it, a year came around and we had a bunch of pages put together. And I was like, well, let's just do a Kickstarter for part one and see how it goes. And we already had most of the artwork finished. We only had to pay for a small print run and it funded like in 13 hours. It was like the fastest I ever 
had a Kickstarter fund because we, we, it was a good concept and we didn't really need all that much money to get it made. So good combination to have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So from there, we just kind of uh, decided we raised so much from campaign from that campaign that we decided it made less sense to go from part one to part two to part three and keep charging people for single issues and then come back and have a collected volume later. So I decided let's just jump into the hardcover and full book so that people can just get the full story and it's going really well. Oh, good. Well, you know, obviously you, you've met the, the goal and you've still got some more to go. So now's the time to do it. Why don't you talk a little bit before we get into the story? Why don't you talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the bonus stuff, the, the goodies that, that you're offering with this. Oh, yeah. So it's that we have the standard straight hardcover by itself, which is like our lowest physical tier. But then you can also grab a book plate, which since I'm located in Ohio now and my artist is Marcelo is in Chicago, it's hard for us to do the signing of the book because I can't really ship hardcover books to two different places without it being a massive cost. So I decided we'll do some cool book plates that are going to be exclusive to the Kickstarter so that people can get the signature of both of us on them. And that's just a $5 bump to get that. Mm-hmm. And then I have Nook enamel pins that we had made. And then we have some poster pinups and you can even get the Alter life hardcover trade from last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, which on that tier you're getting the two books for a better price than you're ever going to get them anywhere else I tried to to make it a good deal to grab those things Mm -hmm. and then finally we have uh, we actually have Marcelo made a little resin 4 inch tall Nook ghost cat figurine (laughs) that we actually he's like casting the little mold for it and stuff we can't make a ton of them because he's got to actually do the art for the book too. Mm-hmm. So I'm not really want to. I don't really over, want to overburden him with that. But we have, I think, like three of those left, and you can grab one. And then you can also get like we have some sketches you can get for the inside cover. Mm-hmm. And I believe our producer credits are now all gone. So. Wow. Not that that's a bad thing. That's oh, no. the highest tier. So right. we've sold six of those that's in good. the past See, three you've been, weeks. You've been building up all this good stuff over time. And now all this, you know, your successful campaigns are kind of building on each other and getting you to the place where you can do this good stuff. Do you, why, why don't you tell people what the goal was you were originally looking for? Yeah, so we were shooting for a $7,500 goal. And we hit that uh, about it's just a little over three weeks in mm-hmm. to the campaign and I kind of pushed the campaign a little longer than a month because I want, didn't want to end on a weekend and give people some extra time to hop on and get the book. So, uh, yeah, we still are sitting currently while we're recording this, we're still sitting with eight days left and we're, uh, almost at $8,000. So, I mean, this is easily the most successful as far as, day to day that I've ever done with the Kickstarter. Like I've never had like a day that's been under a hundred dollars. So just something 
like in general, it's been a much more calm feeling campaign because <laughs> I'm never like, oh my god, I'm not doing anything. I need to get the the meter moving again. But yeah, it's I think it's just something that comes with doing. I mean, this is my ninth Kickstarter wow. doing. Yeah, so uh, I think I do maybe to get to the point where I can do this a little easier, at least not necessarily easier, but more well put together and more consistent. So yeah, that must have been that big sigh of relief that we we all heard with when you got to the the goal. <laughs> oh yeah, so it was great and. Uh, then the fun thing now is we get to I get to work with a couple artist friends that I've met over the couple of years and add on some fun stretch goals to the campaign, which we already I had one that's unlocked just for us hitting our goal, and then we have another one at eight thousand. So possibly by the time this recording is up, there'll be at least two or three stretch goals added to everybody's rewards too. So. Mm-hmm. Are you are you still doing the little videos that you used to do? I, I haven't had a chance to look. But you used to when there was a campaign going on. Even the rest of the time, you would do little videos where you talk about projects. Yeah, I try to do that. I try to basically do like a weekly update, essentially. Um, they're killing the Kickstarter live thing and that's like built inside the Kickstarter, so I'm going to have to start doing it through another means. But... Uh, yeah, for this campaign, I've been doing it like every Sunday, uh, usually like at eight at Eastern time, eight p.m. So, just to kind of tell people like how we got to where we were so far in the campaign, and then like talking about you know answering questions, talking about the process and everything too. But well, sharing what you've learned because obviously you know nine times in you've learned quite a lot, and so you're ready to to tell people what kinds of things that you would suggest they do in order to make their Kickstarters successful. Yeah, I feel like I can, I honestly, I finally feel like I'm at the point where I, I can do that and I'm like justified into giving people full-on advice about how to do these campaigns because I have not failed except once in the three years that I've been doing these. Hmm. And that one was just because I had tried to do too much too soon. Mm. And it, it, that was a really great learning process, or mm. learning a chance to learn how to kind of bounce back from that and keep going. So, mm-hmm. now, yeah. it's, I, of course, now you get the chance to do these good things and, and to uh, make the process happen. Stuff. I, I wanted to mention that I had, all, I've also backed it. I, I got one of the early backer discounts, the Pin Me one. And it's got a whole bunch of nice little things in there, including the pin, the hardcover you mentioned. It also gets a PDF of Nook, which is kind of interesting to me. I'm fascinated, and that's something that that interests me. Because, you know, you've got the hardcover and is included in that level, but you also get the PDF. Is there a reason why you included both of those in some of these levels? I mean, I usually just throw the digital in there after the lowest tier because some people like to read in it digital maybe they prefer to read it in digital personally i like to have a book in my hand and read it and that's why i'm here making them this way because i could just i could easily just be doing web comics and 
sell them on Comixology and all that stuff, but which I actually do put all this stuff up there. But I like the process of reading a physical book. So um, I don't know. I like to give people the option to read it and however what however they prefer to read it but um i know most people that are buying the book are likely reading it as a hard book mm-hmm. it's interesting because people always said for the longest time that digital was going to take over that we wouldn't get paper copies anymore that we would on every wednesday we would download stuff from an ftp site and that would then we'd sit and read them on our computers that hasn't happened <laughs> i can't see that happening really uh, there's there's something about the feel of that book in your hands. And there's so many people I talk to that don't read books on digital. And they, like even if they have a Kindle, they tend to still buy books now and then. And I don't know. Personally, I have like a stack of all these digital things that I get from Kickstarters and I get from here and there. And I honestly just they get lost in the mix. I have so much other stuff going on. It's easier for me to look at a stack of my books or look at my bookshelf and know what I have and haven't read. And I just I can't foresee that digital taking over anytime soon. And I honestly it seems like physical books are back on the upswing, just like vinyl and it's you know, these formats come back and people realize the quality of what they're getting. Mm-hmm. Now, there's two points to be made uh, pro-digital and that there's some people who think computer screens, the color is such that it makes it a better read on the computer screen because of all the variant colors, with, especially with newer screens and stuff like that. That's true. Yeah, the, I could see that. The thing that I really like is if I can't get a physical copy for whatever reason, I forget to order it, the store runs out, I can't find it. There's been some stuff that I have looked all over the town that I live in, and I cannot find it. So what I'll do is I go to Comixology, and then I download that so I can keep buying the rest of the books and reading the story. That's nice. Those are valid points. <laughs> are you going to put this out on Comixology? Uh, of course. Uh, you can actually even get part one right now on Comixology. Uh, that just popped up like during our campaign, I think, in the first week it released. Um, yeah, everything, even Alter Life, the full trade just popped up on there this month. And uh, I think even Z2 now is on there. So pretty much the whole library of My Village comic stuff is now available there and on the villagecomicbooks.com website. So That's pretty cool because, you know, the more places you make it available to people, like, I don't even know if you are up on Amazon or any of that kind of stuff because they're starting to put digital stuff up there too, you know. Uh, yeah, that's there's that's a whole undertaking, and I know I need to branch out more with these formats and places to put things. Um, mm-hmm. But I've been so wrapped up in creating content, I forget sometimes that I need to sit down and spend time reformatting pages and sending them to different places. I've got to ask you because, you know, I've talked with you several times and one of the things I know that the goal of every comics creator is to be able to do it full time. And I've wondered, have you reached that level yet? Have you been able to do it full time? Or do you have um, to still work here and there or full time? How you don't have to I'm, say where, of course, but what, I am what are you doing? fortunate at this point. Um, 
when when we decided to uproot from the Chicago area and move closer to my hometown in Ohio, uh, it basically was to free me up to be the stay-at-home dad and focus on my comic stuff. And my wife is this saint that goes and works her butt off to help pay the bills. Um, I'm virtually on the cusp of making this my full-time gig making money though like i know between this and i have one more book that i'm launching uh full book that i'm launching this year uh later in the summer once i have these like three books that i can actually take to conventions and sell and have online and sell, i will be at that point so i'm like right in that in-between area and i think within the next year or so i will be profiting off of making comic books as crazy as that sounds wow that's that's (laughs) an accomplishment i gotta tell you because my roommate makes comics too and he's always wonders you know at at what point do you actually start making money because you know diamond takes a certain amount if you go through diamond comiXology takes a certain amount you don't get you know and of course they expect you to keep making them and paying for the making of them but Mm -hmm. you've got to you know if you can actually make some something of a living off of it Wow, that, that, that is quite the major accomplishment on your part, I think. Yeah, when I started this, I kind of had this, like, three- to five-year goal in mind mm-hmm. of, like, I'm going to make this my job within this certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the track to do it. Um, basically, what it means is I have a ton of books in my house (laughs) that need to be sold (laughs) and I got to find ways to sell them, Mm -hmm. which means going to conventions, Mm -hmm. getting them put everywhere they can be seen. Mm -hmm. So this year I'm doing a lot more conventions than I have uh, in the past couple of years. Mm -hmm. And next year I'm sure it's going to be even more because later this summer, that book that I'm watching is a, a kid's, comic book which is going to be a whole different genre a whole different type of world for me but um i'm excited about that because having had a kid recently Mm -hmm. uh, it just has given me ideas for good stories to tell children and i wanted to kind of embrace that and have that whole new demographic to bring my books to So you don't think uh, a good story to tell kids is when people jump in front of subways? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I tend to go to conventions, and you know, you don't. I don't try to flag down the families all that much <laughs> because my books tend to not really be family friendly. Mm-hmm. But this next one's like a superhero cat kind of, just a fun little mashup. It's it's something I some game I started to play with my son with some of his guys and mm-hmm. turned it into this little like board book, comic book that we'll be doing. Mm-hmm. And the artist is actually, we just announced one of our stretch goals, uh, Angela Odling. Mm-hmm. She did one of the pinups that we are, if we hit 8,000, which we likely will, everybody will get this pinup mm-hmm. from Angela Odling. And mm-hmm. she's doing the artwork for my kid's book this summer. Cool. Very cool, because, you know, it's a nice thing. It, it, it hasn't been until recently, of course, I don't have kids, so it's it's not that urgent of a thing for me, but I just like a good story. 
And there are many great books out there that are considered all ages. And that doesn't mean they're dumbed down. That's the thing I'm really enjoying. There, there's one just now, uh, the latest book just came out for Cleopatra in Space. I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, and it's really good. The final one is coming out. There, there have been several others that I've just been enamored with because, you know, even though it's aimed at younger uh, reading audiences, it still is enjoyable for somebody who's, <laughs> like me, been an adult, been around for a long time. So I think that's cool. Of course, that's one of the pressures on you now with this kid's book is you don't only want to sell to kids. You want to be able to get the parents involved. Yeah, this is one of the things I kind of focused on. I was looking for a while at different artists, and I decided to pick somebody that I knew wouldn't just appeal to a little kid. Like, someone's going to want to pick this book up just for the artwork alone. They're not even going to care that it's a little kid's book or what story it is. There's, it's going to be cute superhero cats in this, like, whimsical style that Angela does and I think it's going to grab a lot of people just with that style mm-hmm. so cats, you've got another cat <laughs> you like cat stories apparently, with this is of course the perfect segue to go and get start getting into the story of Nook Yes, I, I'm just fascinated because most of the time in ghost stories it's like a young child who mm-hmm. is the ghost, but this time it's a cat I mean, I haven't read that very often. I mean, where'd the idea come to have a cat be a ghost? Um, it was actually, it, it, it's funny. It, it, all of this stuff kind of derived from different dreams that I had over the past few years. And one of the dreams was me talking to this stray cat that I found in this new house I was living in. Hmm. And at night, this cat would turn into a girl. And would tell me stories and things. And so I, I was fascinated by that idea. And then I kind of tied it to this other crazy dream I had probably three or four years ago now that my wife and I were moving into this old house. And it had an old carriage house attached to it. And there was this little door that went into like this little storage area. And that person that was selling the house to us said, well, all I want to be clear with you that something bad happened here. There was a girl that was locked in this little storage area and, and died in there. And that, I don't know where these <laughs> dreams come from, <laughs> why I dream these crazy things, but that just stuck with me forever. And I've been trying to put it into a story and it kind of, I started piecing it together with these other crazy dreams I had and mm-hmm. tying it to my family history because I had family that escaped Germany right before World War II. Mm-hmm. And the whole story kind of just became this more timely idea about refugees escaping harm as well. And that, that wasn't even as anticipated as it as, and as timely as it it's become when I started writing this, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, it's just it's been a crazy journey with this book, and mm. I don't think the the cats come from me living with two cats for fifteen years, <laughs> more than likely. But mm-hmm. I also they also come from weird dreams that I have about cats. <laughs> are, you, are you a cat guy? You like cats as opposed to dogs? Yeah, I've, okay. we've had cats since I graduated college, basically. So. 
a long time mm-hmm. to get to know them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they have personalities, and there's like this weird mystery behind them, and mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of where all these creepy stories from. Or I should say, creepy. Not all creepy stories, because the kids' book is not really creepy, mm-hmm. but uh, you know, I get you get they have their own little personalities, and I kind of take things from them and use them in the stories as well. Hmm. Now, see, another thing I got to ask though. I don't remember my dreams oftentimes, like an hour or so after it. I can't remember what it was I dreamt about last night. But apparently you can, and I think that's that's very helpful to you, of course, when as far as like you get at least the start of a story hits you in a dream. I mean, do you write it down? Does it stay in your memory? How does that work? Um, more recently, you learn to pay attention and write it down hmm. as you grow, develop as a writer. Like earlier when I was writing other things and even pre pre with this, some of this nook stuff, I hadn't written it down. It just kind of stayed in my memory for so long because it was these weird, vivid, demented dreams that I was, had no idea where they came from. So it just like kept, com- it kept coming back and some of these dreams like reoccur. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, they're begging to be told as stories. Mm-hmm. So I kind of embraced that, and now I'm much more. If I don't have that many dreams all the time like this, but when I do, I definitely am like I need to stop and sit down and write at least some of this down because it's, there's concepts in there that can be used. Mm. It's like my brain is writing while I sleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've heard of other writers though that that was the case that they would dream something. And they would you know, wake up in the middle of the night and start writing like crazy because they had this idea that they wanted to continue on with. So, you know, I don't think you're alone in that, but it's still not as usual as some people might think it is. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing. And some of those pieces, some of those weird moments in Alter Life, mm-hmm. I know that you're a fan of that story. Some mm-hmm. of those weird moments from that came from even daydreams. Mm-hmm. I like... Neil Gaiman said something in one of his interviews I loved. He said that uh, writers are just, they're just like everyone else. They just know when to observe. They know when you're daydreaming, they know to stop and write that down. Mm -hmm. And it's like we're the... We're the observers that with a pen versus, you know, most people are, they see that daydream and then they just, they go on with their lives, mm-hmm. but we stop and write it down. <laughs> cool. Well, that, that's a talent, you know, that's, that's something that, that you have that not everybody else has. And of course that helps you as a writer, obviously, because, you know, you've gotten many good stories out of those kinds of things. And it's also probably something that not many other people might think of. You know, I, I, I wouldn't think of a cat as a ghost. I mean, I, I can be honest with you. I, 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 that's really kind of an interesting thing to me is that, you know, your mind, even while sleeping, is thinking about writing. It's kind of a funny thing. It's really something it's, about it's a talent. It's fascinating to me, too. And I, there's moments where I'm kind of in shock when I come up with some of these ideas because I'm like, where the hell do these things come from? <laughs> like, I have no idea. It's not like I'm sitting here for days on end mm-hmm. trying to piece together what to do with a cat. It's just mm-hmm. sort of... Sort of Sometimes think ideas come to me, and mm-hmm. um, the cat in this one uh, is kind of a vehicle to tell the story, and it 
almost is played from its perspective in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of did that on purpose. It's not only the cat, but it's this, the little girl that the cat is kind of revealing the, the history of the house to. She's got these, this innocent view of the world. And uh, I think putting that with this cat that has this strange past, that's mm -hmm. almost like a tortured creature. Mm -hmm. It's gives you, you that weird sense of uh, lost innocence mm -hmm. and, the beauty that is in this book really is the way that Marcelo has kind of captured that perspective with his art style because it's almost a cute art style, mm -hmm. but it's also like this tortured, dark, scary, mm -hmm. cuteness mm -hmm. going on to it. And mm -hmm. I've had people read the first part of this and say that the end of it's a gut punch because they never saw it coming because mm -hmm. it, they we're so wrapped up in this little girl's innocence mm -hmm. throughout the first part. And that's kind of, it was to me, that was an amazing feeling to hear because that was what we were going for. And that just made me feel like Marcelo really nailed and drove home that aspect with his art style. And you can't really ask for more from an artist. Mm. I got to ask you, of course, the little girl and the cat and probably the other family, are they based, you mentioned that it came through a, a dream and stuff, are they based on characters that you know? I mean, did you have a cat named Nook? Uh, is the little girl based on somebody you knew? Or are no. these out of your dreams, out of your, your imagination? I would say it's probably 75% my imagination. I, I like to take things from random places and from children there's character things that the girl does that might be based off of children that i know friend my friend's children some little quirks that they have and mm -hmm. i just again that's that observer thing mm -hmm. and just remembering to take things from a bunch of different places and kind of make an interesting character out of it mm -hmm. and i did that with her and i did that with her family and with the family that uh, lives in the house before them in World War One. Mm -hmm. It's all kind of um, taken from either people that I've met in my life or I try to take characteristics that I find very interesting in characters from other stories as well. Mm -hmm. So, now, Does most of the story take place in the house or do they go out of the house? Uh, how does that work? Uh, most of it will take place in the house. Mm -hmm. um, you get the time jump in from part one there's three parts so part one takes place during world war ii being in world war ii part two kind of takes you back to show the history of where these entities came from that are in the house mm -hmm. and then uh part three kind of ties it all together but mostly it takes place in the house there's things that take place around the house as well but it kind of it makes sense to keep it all contained because that's really the heart of the story is kind of this idea that the cat and the other entity in the house are kind of they're trying to stop the past from repeating. Mm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Now, in your stories, you normally get to a, an ending of sorts. I mean, you could probably go on. Alter Life was that way. 
uh, <laughs> is that true with Nook as well? Because I haven't read the, the cartoon. Part. Yeah. Um, part one, actually, people tell me that I could have, they were, when they first read part one, they were like, where can you even go from here? Because it, the way it ends, it kind of like, is it, you would think it's a definitive end. Mm-hmm. But it's just like this beginning story arc for the downfall of this house basically so um yeah i like to build stories that have that ending um you the only one that i haven't really is zed is kind of meant to be this ongoing series but um i like to give you the definitive beginning middle and the end most of the time i'm writing and i focused on that with uh the avery story because really this is not something that could be ongoing. It's just this little uh, capture of time to kind of show people um, almost like a, a lesson of uh, where of the, the looking at the past and learning from the past, or else we are doomed to repeat that past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that in your writing because you know how rare that is to have an ending in comics these days. <laughs> I mean, the X-Men never end. I mean, they go on for decades and decades and decades. And I got to, you know, I had a friend of mine, a roommate whose name was Scott, and he happened to like Scott Summers. And so I started buying the X-Books. And I, it just didn't end. It was months and months of buying stuff. And I finally turned to him and said, look, do you really want to continue this? No. Okay, we're out. Because I just, I, there are so many things That's... everybody kept saying. You had to buy... 50 years worth of comics to understand all the continuity that was involved with it. And I'm like, good grief. Yeah. At its, I think that's the struggle with the big two in the comics industry. Not right now, too. Um, they're constantly talking about how comics is dying. Those two particular yeah. <laughs> makers of comics. Mm-hmm. Because they can't they can't seem to grab the, grasp the formula that people want mm-hmm. a story. They don't want to have to buy... 50 comic books Mm -hmm. in order to you know i have to buy a number whatever of the flash to Mm -hmm. know what happened to batman Mm -hmm. at a certain you know what i mean it's just Mm -hmm. it gets so complex and convoluted to to newer people especially that's why we don't have as many new people diving into those types of stories Mm -hmm. because they don't know where to start and they don't know where it's going to end so it used to be when I'd buy a comic, even if it was twelve cents, and that tells you how old I am. It was a I would get a total complete story. Mm-hmm. There was one about uh, uh, there was a, a story, and I don't remember the title of it, but it was Batman, and it had to do with this guy that was that had come down with a fatal disease, and he wanted to. His name was Big Harold Big or something like that, and or Harold Small or I can't remember how it goes, but anyway, at the very last panel is Batman standing there because the guy passes. He sacrifices himself to make something good happen. And Batman turns around and says, you know, he didn't die small. He died big. And I remember that just, to this day, I can still see that panel, you know, in my head. And I don't see that kind of thing in those comics. The one shot is a dying thing, apparently, right? Like, people want to, you can blame what you want to blame for all that, but it's this this mentality of wanting to keep it going forever because you have, you have something good. You have to keep making money off of it. Essentially. You can't just write one story and have that sell. Well, you have to have 
a story arcing over 25 issues that who knows how long will take to actually be put out in the comic book stores these days. So it's like, it's very hard to get into those ongoing series for me too. Um, I, I tend to pick up a graphic novel or a collected volume that I know has an ending before I would pick up a single issue. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of one of the reasons we jumped straight to the big book because I was like, if you watch issue two, what's that going to do for us? Mm-hmm. We're going to have an issue two that I will sell during the Kickstarter and I won't be able to sell many of them more than likely anywhere else because you need, you kind of need part one to read part two. Mm-hmm. So I just mm-hmm. said, let's just do the whole thing. It makes more sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's going to work out real well because, you know, there are, there are, I know of some comic companies that are considering doing that, like releasing a number one and then putting out a trade of the whole story. Mm-hmm. That's I, what I heard. That's one of the reasons I kind of decided on this. I was like, this seems to be the trend because personally, like, even with having a hard book, it's almost better to have that single issue one with it. Mm-hmm. on your table at a convention because some people diving into again diving into a new series that you have no idea what it is mm-hmm. um spend five bucks on a single issue to test it or spend 20 to 30 bucks on a big trade that you might not like so right. it's it's the idea that someone could grab that first issue and then come back and be a repeat customer for you so uh, I think that's a smart way to do it. I think that should be a standard. Mm-hmm. Well, smart way. I, th- I think you're doing the smart thing too with that. Now, it does lead me to a question, though. You know, we're talking about ongoing sh- uh, books and stuff like that. Is there a chance? Because I haven't read the end yet, so I'm just asking: Is there a chance for a Nook too? There will likely not be anything else after Nook, as far as Nook World is concerned. I liked writing. I really liked writing a ghost story, and I liked writing from us. It was such a different perspective to try to write from like a little girl's perspective during World War II, and that was like a fun new challenge for me. So mm-hmm. I can foresee coming back to something similar to this, but it won't be. No. Anything to there won't be Nook, mm-hmm. quote unquote. Hmm. Okay, I mean you could go back to the Nook universe if you wanted to, as far as that goes. True, but you don't necessarily have to do the same story. Yeah, which of course you realize what a, a huge breaking of the trends that is. I mean, I mean Batman <laughs> has like ten books out every month, and you know, it's hard <laughs> to keep up with them. And Spider-Man the same. And I'm just kind of like, there's some of them. I now I'm getting much more picky and, and choosy. If somebody I know is a good writer, I'll buy a Spider-Man book. Like, for example, I buy Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which is written by Tom Taylor, whose stuff I really like. And I buy that. I enjoy that book because it's much more character-oriented than a lot of the other ones. But, uh, see, with your stuff, you have this great balance of drama and character. You know, we start, we like the characters, and then bad things start to happen, and then we have to, you know, and oh, no, now what, what's going to happen kind of stuff. We have to care. So I, like. I always try to build that. Like I, I don't. I want stories that you care about who you're reading about. Um, have a hard time with stories that just dive straight into the action. Or uh, I want something there that kind of gives you an attachment, something that feels familiar. And even when it's a little girl from World War II, there's something in it that 
connects with a middle-aged man that runs a comic book store because I've had people that run comic book shops read that first issue and tell me, man, that's the best thing you've done yet. So I'm I'm feeling pretty <laughs> pretty good about this one so far. I've got to ask, of course, these kinds of things lend themselves. Is this a possibility of an animated version of Nook in the Future? That would be amazing. Um, nothing in the foreseeable future, but I would love to dive into that world if I could. So you never know. See, a book is like like this is giving people. It's like a script, but it's it shows exactly how you could do it on the screen. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, you know, this kind of thing could really work. So maybe somebody out there will will, will get you. The you might be. You might be interested in that. I've been in talks with somebody about potentially working on a uh, television series for Alter Life. Ooh. So. Ooh. That would be good. That would be fun to see because that that's the first book of yours I came across. Mm-hmm. I saw you in Chicago at, I think it was Wizard World Chicago is where I saw your stuff. You were down the aisle from where uh, I was yeah. out. And that's where I got the book and I took it home that night and read it. And I was like, wow. What's going on here? I gotta know what's <laughs> happening. So, you know, it falls out of the way too. Now I have the hardcover on my my shelf, this stuff too. So it's really good oh, stuff. So, hey, yeah, that's something. I I know a guy that works out on TV shows in LA, and he he actually backed the Kickstarters numerous times and got the trade and everything. And hmm. he was like, "Oh, maybe we should talk about uh, doing a treatment for." Uh, television series so who knows that could be something we work on I think he's actually working on a Swamp Thing series that's being put out right now so Mm. don't hold your breath or anything but Mm. that could be something to be excited about down the line and uh, yeah I'm even considering I started developing another idea that might tie into Alter Life a little bit too so that might be something I work on pretty soon wow okay <laughs> if i'm trying to remember was that your first book that was okay yeah because i remember it really grabbed a hold of me like i said and i just you know i've been following you ever since and trying to keep up with your good stuff uh i got too many patreons to do everybody's patreon but i've, I've <laughs> i want to as soon as i can afford it i'll start to, to get on your patreon and do stuff like that hey. now i've got to hey. ask of course you talked about doing more conventions. Can you tell us what conventions that you've got coming? I can, actually. I actually have a list in front of me, just Ooh. in case you asked me. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm prepared. <laughs> um, I already did Fantastic on Toledo this year, which was earlier this month. I'm doing Space in uh, Columbus, which is a small press show. Yeah, I like that one. I've been to that one. That's a good one. Yeah, well, I'll be doing that one uh, in late April, and then I'll be doing... Three Rivers Comic Con in May, mm-hmm. and I'll be doing Comic Con Revolution in Chicago in June. Mm-hmm. And then, as of right now, I'm kind of that's in July and August is kind of where I'm going to be working on my kids' book. So I kind of set aside that time to work mm-hmm. on that, and then I'll be coming back and doing Cleveland Comic Con mm-hmm. and Monroe Comic Con, and then. Baltimore Comic Con in October. Oh yeah, that'll be a good one. Baltimore is one of those places where magic happens. Now I understand that Jeff Johns approached Dan DeDio 
about Green Lantern at uh, Baltimore Comic Con, and that's where the rebirth thing started. Oh, really? So things wow. often happen behind the scenes in Baltimore, so I think that that's a good place to go. Yes, I've heard many good things about that show, and I'm excited to do it. It, it, it seems like the right place to bring my books, and mm-hmm. it looks like it'll be a good time either way. So, And if I remember correctly, Baltimore yeah. doesn't have media guests that are purely yeah. media guests. They want to focus on comics, which, you know, I, like there are some conventions I go to in Florida, and I've asked them, I said, you know, why do you have so many media guests and very few comic people? That's because more people want to see the media guests. Mm -hmm. I said, but it's called Comic-Con. That's funny. I actually deliberately picked my conventions this year based around that particular idea because it drives me nuts when everyone's spending all their money on seeing media guests and then they don't have anything to buy any books with. So I picked shows that focus primarily on comic books. Mm -hmm. So uh, it'll be great to kind of work my way up to the big show is Baltimore and then I have a couple smaller ones later in the year that are in the Cleveland area but uh, yeah it's it's looking like a pretty solid year for conventions and then next year I'm going to probably even do twice as many just because I'm going to have three books in my hands to sell and Mm. a lot more reason to do more shows wow Wow, we're going to turn into the con guy here. You know, going to all the conventions. Because we've got, you know, I work on Stabby Bunny. We're, we've got like a whole couple months worth where just about every weekend we're at a con someplace. And I'm just like, wow, we're going we're gonna to try to get out there and do as much as we can. It just builds a fan base if you can go to the conventions. And yeah. It, it just happens. That's why I was like, I'm going to spend a good three three four years making books and then i'm gonna take those books and i'm gonna get people to read them so that's kind of where i'm at that point where it's like it's time to start really getting out there mm-hmm. and getting these books in people's hands oh, cool well hope i see you in baltimore which we're, we're working on getting into baltimore right now is what we're trying to do so we'll see how that goes we, hopefully we'll get up there and maybe bump into you again yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> good things to do because, man, it's, it's a, your stuff is such good stuff and so different from anything else that's out there that it, I'm always encouraged to read it because I don't know what you're going to do. I mean, we know at the end of a Batman book he's coming back because he's got to be in the next Batman book. But with your <laughs> books, I don't know that. I don't know what you're going to do, so I love that. I love to hear that. <laughs> Okay, so let's see. You got uh, I, it's probably too soon to talk about other stuff that you're working on, but uh, um, I can give you a couple. I well, I gave you a little glimpse on the kids' book that I'm okay. working on, okay. and then uh, I have a couple other ideas. I'm I'm well, I want to come back and do some more Zed, but it's a lot harder of a sell than it should be. So I'm kind of on the fence about how much time I'm going to spend on that series right now. Mm-hmm. I might try to do like where I just go for a whole trade of it again that gives you a whole story arc. That way people aren't trying to catch up at this point. Mm-hmm. So we might come back to that uh, within the next year. But mainly this alter life concept that I'm playing with mm-hmm. basically is kind of set in a dystopian future. And it's going to be something I 
calling it kind of Elysium meets uh, Children of Men, mm-hmm. but there's this alter life element to it as well. So um, cool. it's it's set in the alter life world that I created, but it's not anything to do with Jake, who was the main character in the story, that story. So well, you see, so you world builds this whole thing and now you have other stories in that world i mean there's not only one story in in our world there's all Mm -hmm. these different stories going on so i think it's fun to explore other parts of a world when you've built it like that yeah another thing about that that i'm considering doing i've actually been approached by a couple other uh writers that they were like hey would you ever consider doing like an anthology Mm. that was kind of built inside the ultra life world that you created Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm kind of dabbling with that, maybe taking some, like, I don't know, 10 or 15 shorts and putting them together in a big book and having it be like this alter life mm-hmm. little glimpses. Kind of like, I don't know if you ever saw the Animatrix thing that was oh, like, yeah. oh, the, I love that. The little, yeah, those little other side stories that are set in that world. Mm-hmm. Kind of, I feel like that would be really fun to do. I'll put one of my own in there, but mm-hmm. uh, it'll be a cool way to showcase other indie creators and kind of meet new people and work with new people and get a cool book out of it too. Well, good. Well, there are all kinds of good ideas going on there, Caleb, and I can't wait to see all these good things come to fruition because it's always something interesting and something I haven't seen before. So I'm always, always up for that. So, well, you know, I, I wish you more success on your Kickstarter. I, I, I don't know. The sky's the limit now once you've made your, Right. I'd love to see you make. Well, we won't. We won't speculate. But uh, <laughs> it would be nice to see you make even more. You know, surpass your goal by even farther. So, you know, again, it's you go to to Kickstarter and it's Nook N O O K, and you'll find it there. So, yeah, it's it's it'll be worth it, and you get all kinds of good stuff too. So yeah, I'll definitely do it. Um, I also have a a redirect link if you just. Simply go to nookcomic.com. That'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page as well. So, okay. Well, again, I keep it up, and you know you're doing wonderful stuff, and I can't wait to see what you got in store for us in the future. So, uh, I can't wait to get Nook. That's what because I already got my order in. So, it'll be fun. Great. To get it, so, can't wait to hear what you think about it. Well, I'll let you know because I always like to let people know, particularly <laughs> when I enjoy the book. I had somebody whose stuff I really loved, and he had this one story going out, and he, he had three volumes out, and he had number four was coming. And they actually let me read number four. And he was so terrified I was going to interview him <laughs> for, the, for the podcast, what I would think of it. And I had to sit there and tell him, I said, this is one of the best stories I've ever read. I can't think of any way where you made a mistake or something bad happened, because it just was one of those stories that, that, that you ended well. You know, so many times you get these miniseries and they don't, they sputter to the end. And that was not the case with that one. And he was just like, oh, wow. He said, what a relief. He goes. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's always good to hear from people about how much they like the book. It keeps us, keeps us energized and keeps us creating. So yeah. it's always can, nice to hear back. All I can say is keep it up. You're doing good stuff. Thanks.
that's a wrap for this episode. Be sure to be back next week when I'll have another great interview. But until then, keep reading your comics. Joker. Over? Why, my dear delusional dark knight, it hasn't even begun.